Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad and Shabbat Shalom, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Bless the name of Yahuwah. I want to thank our donors, all of you out there that support this ministry. I am so thankful that we can continue to reach the nations. We're getting ready for Sukkot, so please sign up at TorahToTheTribes.com for the upcoming Feast of Yahuwah and subscribe to our channel. It really does make a difference nowadays when we have so much activity online to be able to spread the word by your subscription. And again, give us some thumbs up if you like this teaching. If you don't like this teaching, give us some thumbs down. And you can leave some comments below and we will dig in today. Under the law and works of the law is the title of today's teaching. It's really what I want to talk about is the difference, the distinction between stewardship and covenant responsibility versus ownership and possession. So we're going to be looking at two phrases today, under the law and works of the law. These are phrases that come to us in the New Testament. These are phrases that are often tossed around without much thought. But specifically, what we're looking at is the distinction between stewardship and covenant responsibility and ownership and possession. Because we live in a crazy world, don't we? I mean, we live in a crazy world of tweets, Twitter feeds, news feeds. And our words today, they impact more than they have ever done before. Words and phrases. But oftentimes, our words are just tossed around so easily, so divisively, without much thought to what those words and phrases really mean. Because there is a lack of comprehension. People spout off words, often, in divisive form, without understanding the context of those words and the comprehension they do not have of what those words mean. And they come out in a rapid rate. Nazi! To use the word Nazi outside of the context of World War II today, you've already lost the argument, in my opinion. Because you're throwing it around to cause division, and you're not even using it in the context of World War II. You don't have much to go on. But people use these words without understanding today. Racist! Build a wall! Free health care for all! without understanding the consequence of using such terms and phrases. Because everything comes at a cost. And too often people spout off words without stopping to comprehend their meaning. And it's no different in the Bible. I'm not under the law. You're under the law. You're trying to put me under the law. Well, that's just works of the law. You keeping Sabbath 
That's just works of the law. It's no different in the religious sphere than it is in the political sphere, the social sphere. People throwing around words without truly understanding the context, the ramifications, and the meaning behind the comprehension of those words. To use racist outside of the context of racial discrimination, you've already lost the argument. To use Nazi outside the context of World War II, you've already lost the argument. To throw around, I'm not under the law, outside of the context of the book of the law, you've already lost the argument. Well, you're keeping Sabbath, that's just a works of the law outside the context of the commandments given at the mountain, the book of the covenant, you've already lost the argument. That's what I want to look at today. Going back to comprehension and context because we live in a divisive world. We live in a divisive world where people too often spout out words, spout out phrases, without comprehending or understanding their context. They're trigger words, aren't they? Nazi, racist, I'm not under the law, you're under the law. That's a works of law. Trigger words hurled precisely because people are trying to shut down the conversation and trying to halt progress socially, but also religiously. Because if you hurl out, well, you're just trying to put me under the law, you're halting the conversation and you're stopping spiritual progress. Well, that's just a works of the law. You're halting the conversation and you're stopping spiritual progress. It's the same vein that we need to address. That's I want to look at today because I do not want to halt the conversation. I want to have a conversation with you and I want you to be able to have a conversation with others that may be not where you're at in your faith, but don't halt the conversation and don't allow others to halt the conversation because they don't understand the context and aren't willing to have the conversation in regards to these two particular phrases, under the law and works of the law. So today, we're going to examine these two phrases that are often misused, abused, and thrown around. And when that happens, you shut down the conversation and you halt spiritual progress. And I don't want that. I don't want that with my Christian brethren, I don't want that with secular brethren that may be seeking the kingdom of Yahuwah, yet they heard all the dogma regarding these two phrases. And then when you come along and start talking about Sabbath, when you start talking about the feasts and festivals, when you start talking about diet restriction, all of a sudden they're triggered, well, that's works of the law. You're under the law. The conversation stops, the spiritual progress ceases.
Now, if we can be mature without being defensive and examine these words, then I think we can do great things. And that goes not only for these words, but with all of our conversations. Because when you use words outside of the context of where they come from, you've lost the argument before you've even started. So, first of all, we're going to look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. So while you're turning there, I'll have a swig. And we know the phrase. We've all heard the phrase. Not Nazi, not racist, but under the law. For sin over you shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under law. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. I can do whatever the heck I want. I go to church on Sunday. I, you know, get out of the house at Christmas and Easter. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. You're trying to put me under the law. You've shut down the conversation and you've just halted spiritual progress. Then if we get defensive... It's not going to unlock that system, is it? But by educating and by being decent, opening up the conversation and being lighthearted about it, still in the vein of truth and righteousness, you can make great progress. For sin over you shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Let it not be the hearkening call of Rav Shaul. Now, this isn't a proof text to assert that believers aren't to keep the law. Under the law. With under the law interpreted to mean the commandments found in the Torah or what's termed the law of Moses. So what does this phrase mean then? Under the law, it's a Greek term specifically, hupo nomon. But what does it mean? What does it really mean? Now, remember, in the past few paragraphs, before we get to chapter 6, you'd have been in Romans 5, you'd have hopefully read the whole chapter, now you're coming into chapter 6. Rav Shaliak Shaul Rabbi Apostle Paul, he has already been spending some time contrasting the difference between death in the natural man and life in the spiritual man. Where the spiritual man is what? The spiritual man is not to live under sin's dominion. And later, John comes along on the scene and he defines sin as what? violation of the Torah. 1 John 3, 4, it is written, everyone who practices sin also practices law. Indeed, sin is lawlessness. So the question is, this is the question on how we can have the conversation. The question is, is the traditional antinomian, you know, the trigger phrase, well, I'm not under the law, is the traditional antinomian view literally, not as, not literally, I mean literally, literally, like as in literature, is it literally 
and textually viable based upon the context of the letter, the letter to the Romans, and the context of 1 John 3, 4? The answer is a resounding no. Just as throwing around Nazi outside of the context of World War II, you've lost the argument. Throwing around, I'm not under the law, outside of the context of Romans and 1 John 3.14, you've lost the argument. You see, it's the trigger phrases that are so potent in our society today. Politically, socially, but religiously. It's no different. And this is a trigger phrase. It's a trigger phrase used in Christendom to keep people out of pursuing truth and righteousness, but also to keep you from sharing your faith. It's shut down phraseology. Shut down phraseology. And I don't like that. Because I want to progress. Because, like I said before we broadcast today, our faith cannot be passive. There's too much passivity out there. Seek ye first the kingdom of Yahweh. Meaning, Yahweh's not calling you and I to be perfect. He's not calling you and I to be fearless. He's calling us to be Actively pursuing him. Active. Keeping the Sabbath is not passive. You don't just sit around your house and do nothing. You're to actively keep Sabbath. It's an active. And your whole household is to be involved in the activity of it. It's active. It's an action. Seek first the kingdom of Yahweh. You don't just sit back and say, yes, I'm a believer. No, you're to actively pursue Yahweh and demonstrate that you're a believer. Regardless, all of my faults, and I have many, and you right here today can see them and know them more than most. But I tell you one thing, and everyone will testify to this, since I've become a believer, I have not ceased in actively pursuing because that's the one thing that I know keeps me zealous and on the straight and narrow. Oh, I've fallen along the way, but I am active. And I always have been, and I pray I always will be active. Because I had years of actively pursuing wickedness and I've never been passive about anything in my life. But now Yahweh is using it for good. Passivity kills the conversation kills the faith. Let's dig in to this particular phraseology. Two, two points, not four. Two points I want to make before we move on. Because we're forced to do, really, more than a cursory and unscholarly read to find the true balance of Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Because we want to progress spiritually. We want to have those conversations with people because conversation is fun. I love having religious conversations. I love having political conversations. But when people throw out words like, I'm not under the law, you're a Nazi, you're a racist, I don't like that because it shows your ignorance. 
because you're using all of those words, those trigger phrases, outside of the context of what they were meant. Shows a lack of comprehension. Shows a lack of comprehension in all realms. Two points. Number one, the sin master and the Torah are not one and the same. They are not one and the same. Romans 7, 7, you're familiar with that, makes that very clear. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. So my first point, very succinctly, the sin master and the Torah are not one of the same. Just like, just because somebody supports Donald Trump doesn't make them a Nazi or a racist. You may disagree with their political opinions and ideals, but just because of that, you can't throw around the word racist and Nazi. And just because I'm keeping the sound and I believe in the feasts and festivals, likewise, you can't throw around the phrase, well, you're under the law. You've just now taken those words out of the context of their meaning. That is what's poisoning our culture, socially and religiously. And that's what... I want to share today. My second point on Romans chapter 6, verse 14, the Torah isn't the agent of sin. The sin master is. Likewise, Donald Trump isn't the agent of racism. Now, I'm not saying go and vote for this person or that person. I'm not a Donald Trump fan. I'm just commentating on the world that we live in. And he is the president of this country in which I live. So it does pertain to today. But I don't need any trolls online saying, oh, well, he's a Republican, because I'm actually not. I'm a libertarian. I love liberty, which is why I'm a Malkitzedekan, if you want to put me in a pigeonhole. Okay, so there's three traditional views of what under the law, the Greek word nomon means. Uh, three traditional views, and then I'll give you a fourth. Three traditional views, and I'll give you a fourth. Number one, we get the institutionalized church view, and that is what? The Torah or the law of Moses. You're trying to get me to obey the Torah, the law of Moses, and that means that you're putting me under the law. So that's the first traditional view. The second view is called the new perspective of Paul. Now, this has been co-opted. Many of you don't But the new perspective of Paul has actually been co-opted by the Messianic movement. And in that view, the Torah's condemnation or penalties pronounced upon lawbreakers. That's what under the law means. The Torah's condemna condemnation or penalties pronounced upon lawmakers. Remember, 
that Romans 7, you say, oh, under the law, we're no longer under the law of the adulterous woman. You see, this is from the new perspective of Paul, which is actually being co-opted by the Messianic movement. That's the second interpretation. Now, the third is more of a Karite or Messianic Karite view, which I used to adhere to before I came to the understanding fully of the Malkit Zedek. And the third view is legalism. You're talking about the oral law or an inappropriate abuse of the Torah. And that's what under the law means. Are we clipping with the microphone? Quite a lot? Clipping in and out? Do they want me online to move to a, a, a handheld? Because I can do that if it's clipping. Yeah, we do that. Okay, let's, let's do that. We're going to switch for you guys online. We've had a few comments, I guess. All right. How's the audio on that? Can we get a thumbs up if the audio's okay? Help us out there, you guys online. Oftentimes we can't tell what's going out. So while we do that, I'll have another swig here. So the, um, do you want to check the levels? So the third view is the Karai or the Messianic view when it comes to legalism. Under the law, it really means, well, we're talking about specifically the oral law or an inappropriate abuse of Torah. And I used to adhere to that. So there's your three views. I don't believe in any of them. I want to offer to you a fourth view, and that is the Malkit Zedek view. What does under the law mean? It's going to be in context, and it's going to give you some comprehension so that we can continue the conversation. We are not under the book of the law, specifically Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, and of course, it's context. Exodus chapter 19 through Exodus chapter 24, verse 11. So my understanding is we are not under the book of the law. It's carnal ordinances that were imposed until the time of Reformation when Shiloh, the promised son, would come, pay the penalty for transgressing the covenant and bring us into the liberty of covenant Torah, which was broken at the golden calf. So now we have context and comprehension that we can now continue the conversation. That's my hope. So we doing okay? Thumbs up if we've got good audio. If you need more volume, please leave it in the chat or the comments because then we can find out. Everything's good? Golden. Because I get really nervous up here. Very apprehensive. And I'll get triggered by my anxiety. I don't have anxiety. What do you think I am? Some liberal? 
I mean, really. But then they're, oh, you're going to trigger my anxiety. Oh, I need to go in like a, a, a chill room with like padded ceilings and all that for some carrot juice. Good night. What's going to happen? And these, they're, they're like communists, right? Because it's really democratic socialism. It's communism. But, you know, at least the real communists back in the day, you know, in the gulags and whatnot, I mean, they were pretty tough. I mean, it's, they weren't like hanging around in Google cafes, drinking carrot juice and going to their safe spaces. Today, I mean, these, I mean, they wouldn't literally, they wouldn't survive a day without bread and water. So they're not even real communists. So anyway, anyway, let's get back to truth and righteousness instead of this commie rubbish. So let's talk again. We're looking at under the law because the ones in reality that are under the law, who are they? Communists. No, I'm kidding. The ones, <laughs> the ones that are under the law, they're the people that haven't realized that Yahusha's inauguration of the new covenant, and they're still under the law, the book of the law, the schoolmaster, if you will, which they have not seen the liberty that is offered through Yahusha. That's under the law, under the book of the law. That's the context. Whereas the ones under grace, because yes, I am under grace. I'm not under, in proper context, the book of the law. I'm under grace. But what does that mean? A liberty to violate Torah? Heaven forbid. Under grace means that I've realized, I've come to the enlightening that Yahushua's inauguration of the new covenant, given as Torah, Hebrews 8, 7, is what has given me a release from the burden of the book of the law, from the schoolmaster, and now my life can be established through the Torah, as James says, the royal Torah, which is book of the covenant in its context. The covenants of promise, Paul speaks about to the Ephesians. This is the promise that was given to Abraham, which is why Paul always talks about us being the seed of Abraham. So you have to use it in its context. So again, we can't follow the doctrines and commandments of men because the doctrines and commandments of men nowadays, religiously, do they even hold the Ten Commandments? No. It's a form of godliness, yet denying its power. They don't even hold to the Ten Commandments. It's really more like, you know, the, the Six Commandments and, and the Four Suggestions. But when I was in Calvary Chapel, these, were, these weren't even commandments anymore. What were they called, honey? They were principles. These are principles. No, then, they, got, they, got, they, they were relegated to principles. Where did that happen? Could you show me the verse where the commandments were relegated to principles? Because I have never read that. Last time I read the Bible, they were still commandments. They were never relegated to principles that we get to kind of, you know, have a shadow picture in our life. But that's what I was initially taught. So what we have to look at is what is really going on today. People are using words and phrases outside of the context of which they were written or outside of the historical context of when they were formulated because of a lack of comprehension. And it's, 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 it's universal in scope, meaning 
It happens in the religious community, but it also happens more in the secular and political community, and I see it all around. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute. You've really lost the argument by using that word and throwing that phrase around because you're not using it in its historical context, and therefore you have a lack of comprehension of what you're even saying. It's just a trigger word. Under the law and works of the law are also trigger words. Can you agree with that? I would say so. I agree with me. And that's what's important. So 21st American Christianity, 21st century American Christianity has become, I'm sad to say, it has become mindless and unresponsive to four out of the four vertical commandments, leaving really a nonchalant and tolerant somewhat approach to the remaining six horizontal commandments. What do I mean? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Number one, we have, of course, of the commandments, I am Yahuwah, your Elohim, that delivered you from slavery in Egypt. This is a commandment of identity, identifying the Elohim that you serve. Who is the Elohim that you serve? Is it some Buddhist Elohim? Heaven forbid. Some Hare Krishna Elo Elohim? Some Tibetan Elohim? No, there's only one Elohim that delivered a people out of slavery in Egypt through the parting of the Red Sea and delivered them to the mountain. So first off, let's identify who we're going to worship. This is a commandment of identity. The second commandment then builds upon that. You see, we're going to now build the faith. Do not take any graven image or idol. Do not take on any graven image or idol. This is actually now our response to the first commandment. I've identified the Elohim that I serve, and now because I serve that Elohim, my response is that I'm not bringing any graven images or idols into my heart, into my house, into my life. I'm casting them out. That's a response to the first commandment. So now we've now solidified the second commandment. We're beginning to walk our faith out. The third commandment, do not bring my name into vain emptiness, meaning you broadcast my name, Yahuwah, to the nations so that they can have an opportunity to decide whether to begin their faith walk by adhering to the first commandment and identifying that I am the one true living Elohim. And the third commandment is a consequence and a response to the first and the second. Do you see how it builds? And now we go into the fourth commandment. Keep the seventh day Sabbath. What's that talking about? This now is a consequence of you keeping the first commandment, the second commandment, and the third commandment. You have now brought what? You've now brought peace into your life. You have now brought peace, which brings tranquility, which means rest into your life. How have you done that? Because you identified the Elohim, 
A consequence of identification means that you got rid of graven images and idols, and then a consequence of that is that you adhere to the name and you no longer bring his name to vain emptiness, and then peace comes into your heart, into your house, into your life, and now you have rest from your enemies, and you can now have a Sabbath. You see how these first four commandments are all about identity and beginning your faith walk. So if you void the first four commandments, you make them into principles. You lose the identity of the Elohim. Because the next commandments, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, as holy as they are, and they are holy, they are the word of Yahuwah, can the moral heathen obey those commandments without being a believer? Yes. Can somebody who doesn't believe in the first commandment, the second commandment, the third commandment, and the fourth commandment, meaning an unbeliever, because to believe in the first four commandments, you're a believer in Yahuwah. But to believe in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth, you could be a heathen. Because I know heathens that are really good to their mum and dad. They love their mum and dad. I know heathens that haven't murdered anybody yet. Yet. I know heathens that uh, haven't actually committed adultery. Not many of them, but I do know a few. I know some heathens that haven't stolen. Well, I didn't catch them stealing. They most probably no. But, you know, I, I do know heathens that don't steal. And I know heathens that actually tell the truth. And uh, I know heathens that actually don't covet. So, do you see what I'm saying here? You get rid of the first four and you turn them into principles. You can be godless. You can be moral. But you can be lost. This is the danger of the culture that we're living in. Why am I going off on this tangent? Because somehow, miraculously, I'm going to tie this back to being not under the law and works of law. So bear with me while I make the connections. Because not even the ethical and moral precepts of Torah are taught in the public pulpits today. Oftentimes not. Clearly, we're not subjected to the book of the law's condemnation. That's Paul's point. We're not subjected to the book of the law's condemnation. And that being under grace means being brought, being brought excuse me, into the book of the covenant Torah reality by Yahushua. Because you and I, we've realized the promises given to Abraham. Haven't we? We've apprehended those promises given to Abraham. Paul doesn't at all consider the Torah as a whole as something that should be abolished. Heaven forbid. He doesn't believe that the Torah as a whole is irrelevant to your and my life. Heaven forbid. He actually, actually recognizes the established change of law. And that change of law that you know I love to quote, is Hebrews 7.12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made an absolute necessity, a change also of the law. How is that done? 
It was brought about by Yahushua's priesthood and inauguration of the Book of the Covenant. Because now we are redeemed from the curses, plural, of the Book of the Law, because a shift in the law has happened. But you have to take time to have these conversations, don't you? Because it's too easy to throw around the trigger words without understanding, comprehension, the context, which is usually history of the words that you're throwing around. It's no different. Nazi, racist, book of the law, under the law, works of the law. These are trigger phrases that can cause reaction, but when you misuse them, it actually does detrimental and has detrimental effects on your relationships with people. The book of the law did actually condemn us. It really did. Because why? Of our infidelity towards Yahuwah. We're no longer subject to its pronouncement of death, which was upon all and all means all of those that transgressed it. Likewise, we're no longer subject to its conditional priesthood, which is very important. So the authority of the book of the law has been superseded by the authority of the book of the covenant. Both are Torah, but the lesser serves the greater, not vice versa. The lesser serves the greater, not vice versa. So really, when we understand that Paul's statements about the law can't be interpreted as these broad blanket statements about Torah, when really a dichotomy is in view here. A dichotomy of book of the law and book of the covenant. And when we understand that, you can have some pretty cool conversations with people. I've never heard that before. Wow, I've never really thought about that. Instead of using the trigger phraseology that shuts down the conversation and blocks spiritual progress, now you can have keys to conversations that can actually be fun and fruitful. That's what I want to do in my life. So we, we've just not had this dichotomy really explained to us before, have we? We haven't. We haven't had it revealed to us until these last days. And many still, as it's written in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14, and many still have the same veil untaken away in their reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is done away? In Messiah. Because he liberated you from the book of the law. He unveiled you and brought you back into the book of the covenant. You are no longer under the book of the law. You're under grace, the book of the covenant. What is in view here is a dichotomy. And with that, a conversation that stirs up faith and appreciation can be brought into the room. And that can change lives. I love it. I really do. The letter to the Romans is the textual witness to Torah's validity. Whereas when I was in the church, the letter to the Romans was the textual witness to doing away with the Old Testament. 
but heaven forbid, heaven forbid, Romans 3.31, do we then make void the law through faith? Yahweh forbid, yea, we establish it. We actually establish it. Romans 7.12, wherefore the law is kadosh, it is holy, and the commandments, they're not principles, they're actually holy. They are just, and they're really good for you. They really are. Romans 7.14, for we know that the book of the covenant, the law is spiritual. Is the book of the law spiritual? Of course it's not, because it was imposed upon them. So the law is spiritual, is talking about the law under covenant, not the law that was imposed. Because you can't tell me that the book of the law is spiritual. No, it wasn't. Is the law of faith? Galatians says the law is not of faith. But hang on a minute. Isn't that a contradiction in terms? Because in Exodus 19 through 24, all that Yahweh said we shall do. That's faith, isn't it? And they apprehended the law. Ah, because the dichotomy is in view here. The book of the covenant, Exodus 19, which they said all that Yahweh has done is of faith we shall do. But the book of the law after the golden calf breach, there was no faith there. It was do or die. Yahweh, please intercede. Do not blot out your people. And he imposed upon them something that they didn't ask for. If they didn't have that imposed upon them, they would have died. So in Galatians, when it says the law is not of faith, you have to ask which law? Book of the covenant or book of the law? Then you have to go to the history and the context of what's being spoken about. But too often, we get caught up on the trigger phrases and we don't look at the underlining meaning. That's why we're having problems today. Problems today. We're having problems with our cameras. I'm not sure which camera's going on. So Moshe, can you point to which camera we use? Oh, right, hello, we're using that one. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here today. All right, okay, so help me out here. People online are like, he's all over the place. I'm looking here, I'm looking there. I've got blooming microphone issues. <laughs> it's absolutely a miracle that I can keep it all together. It really is. Bloody Henry. Oh, now people are going to troll me because I use bloody. I can't keep it straight, can I? All right, we're over there. Okay, we can't. <laughs> Thank you, son. Help me. You can be my red light tonight. Romans 7.25. I thank Elohim through Yahushua Messiah. Who? So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of Elohim, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Romans 8.4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And of course, Romans 8, 7. Because the carnal mind, I love this, the carnal mind is an enemy. It's an enemy against Yahuwah. Why? Why is it? He's going to give us the answer right now. Because you go to the casino and you gamble. No, no, the carnal mind is an enemy against Yahuwah because it is not subject to the Torah. It's not subject to, it's not about you going to the casino. It's about what you do when you're at the casino. Okay, 
I don't know why I'm going off on casinos right now. Maybe I should go to the casino. Could be my lucky day. But we don't believe in luck, do we? Heaven forbid. Because the carnal mind is enmity against Elohim, for it is not subject to the law of Elohim. Why are you enemies of Elohim? Not you out there specifically, unless there's a heathen watching. It's because you're not subject to the Torah of Elohim. So if you don't obey the Torah, you've actually made yourself an enemy of Elohim. But we're talking about specifically a dichotomy. It's covenant Torah that we're to obey. If we obey covenant Torah, we're friends of Elohim. There we go. Neither indeed can it be so. So then they that are in the flesh, they just can't, they can't please Elohim. You see, all in all, and all means all, all in all, these law verses or under the law verses that are thrown around, when we look at the context, when we have a conversation, this concerns people being freed from the Torah's book of the law condemnation. So Torah and grace, this was so huge to me. Torah and grace, they are not at odds with one another. They are not at odds with one another whatsoever. The letter is communicating the means by which the believer is no longer a slave to sin, but is instead alive to Yahweh. And that that's enlightenment. Hupo nomos, under the law. A trigger phrase? Or something that you and I can have a conversation about? Well, that all depends upon our maturity level, doesn't it? Under the law means the condemnation of the book of the law upon sinners. Specifically, in contrast to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where we find, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Messiah Yahushua. Because the condemnation happens when you're out of covenant. And Yahushua ushered in the new covenant given as Book of the Covenant Torah. And if you're in that, under the Melchizedek high priest, you're not going to be condemned. You're going to be secure. You're going to find shalom. And that's what we want. I know I want shalom in a day when there is so much animosity out there. I'm looking for some shalom. And if you want some shalom, then be in the covenant and follow the master. Hupo nomos means to be subject to the curses that are found in the book of the law. Because there are no curses, plural, in the Book of the Covenant. That's what's so beautiful. There's only one family limited curse. So, all that to say this. When you fail to follow Yahushua, because you are passive, you'll find yourself stuck. And Yahweh wants to free us for activity. Because we're actively seeking first the kingdom. So now we're going to switch gears. We're going to look at another trigger phrase. Works of the law. Works of the law. Well, what does that mean? Well, you're trying to put me under the works of the law. Well, I don't want to keep the Sabbath. That's just works of the law. 
Well, yes, yes, I'll, uh, I'll have the lobster. No, actually, I've changed my, line, my, my mind. Let's hold the lobster. Well, why? Well, you're trying to put me under works of the law. I can eat all things. You see, it's a trigger phrase. And you could be just going out for dinner with somebody, and the next thing you know, you've got trouble at the table. Right? Who's ever had trouble at the table? Oh, I went out for sushi with my mother once. We had trouble at the table because she's like, oh, that looks lovely. Wouldn't it? Nice shrimp. I'm like, well, mother, um, we're going to have sushi, but there's some rules when we eat sushi together. That is, we only go with the clean. F she's like, what is all this? You're under the law. Well, no, she's not. She didn't actually say that because she doesn't read the Bible, so she's not familiar with that term. She's just got a ravenous appetite for unclean things, like most British people, right? But again, you have to be able to navigate this stuff, otherwise you can end up in a world of trouble at the dining room table or at a restaurant. So, I like sushi, but, you know, I like salmon in my sushi. And salmon is all I like in my sushi, unless you go for some tuna, and I'm okay with the tuna. But that's it. That's all I can eat. I'm not really into vegetarian sushi. I mean, I like the tuna. Salmon's good. Yes, all right. Thumbs up if you like the salmon in the sushi. Thumbs down if you... Uh, <laughs> Stop it! See, I'm not used to carrying this honking microphone around. Bottom feeders. Romans 3.20, works of the law in all seriousness. Therefore, by the works of the law alone, without heartfelt faith, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law comes the knowledge of sin. So, by remaining within, not under, but by remaining within, not under the book of the law's sphere of influence, Paul's audience will never experience the justification that comes by Yahushua. If they stay under the influence of the Pharisees, if they stay under the influence of the Sadducees, which were adhering and pushing the adherence to the rabbinical decrees and the book of the law in all of its priestly principles and commandments, they will never apprehend the book of the covenant reality ushered in by the resurrection of Yahushua. That's what Paul is trying to communicate. The book of the law gave them the knowledge of sin, for sure and for certain. The breaking of the covenant and the sin of the golden calf. But what could it never do? It could never bring them to the promised hope. The book of the law brought them to the knowledge of their sin, but it could never bring them to their promised hope. What purpose is your and my life if we just live a life where we're like, oh, I'm a sinner, oh, I'm aware of my sin, oh, I'm a sinner? Well, that's, that's going to leave you a life of what? Condemnation. And I've met many a people that are like, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, and they're in religion, and they're stuck in religion, but I'm like, well, okay, I understand you're a sinner. I'm the chiefest of sinners, as Paul said. But I am, I'm joyful because I've apprehended Yahushua, the blessed hope. So why are you so lowly and meek and just downtrodden? Oh, because they haven't been born again. 
because they're stuck in the condemnation of the law without apprehending the promise and liberty of royal law which comes through the knowledge of Yahushua. That's what we have to apprehend and communicate to a lost world. And it's not just a lost secular world. It's a lost church world. Because when you're teaching that the Ten Commandments are just principles and the first four you don't even adhere to, that's some lukewarm, watered-down preaching. That's not teaching. And there you have a disenfranchised religious community that are lost. And they look at you and me as just zealots. Because we are. But don't be afraid of those trigger phrases. Have a conversation about them. Works of the law, ergon nomo in the Greek. I'm going to give you four interpretations of what works of the law means. Number one, the institutionalized churched interpretation. Interpretation, keeping the law of Moses or any customs and commands associated with Moses, right? What's the law of Moses? It's like it's a bad thing. That's the first interpretation. Works of the law, keeping the law of Moses. The second interpretation is a messianic interpretation. It's trying to attain justification by keeping the law of Moses. Now, this doesn't mean we don't keep the law of Moses according to the messianics, but we just rightly apply it. But there's a problem with that. The messianics never do rightly apply it. It's just wordsmithing. The third interpretation of what works of the law means is the Karite messianic interpretation. Avi ben Mordecai is one that really pushes this. And it's works of the law is really just talking about Pharisaic dogma, the oral law, the traditions of the rabbis and the elders. But the Bible doesn't actually teach that. That's a teaching and doctrine of men that you're trying to now teach as commandments. The fourth interpretation, which I believe is rooted in context that will enable us to have a conversation, is the Malkitzedic interpretation, and it is this. Works of the law is the labor of the book of the law. Galatians 3.10, as opposed to the rest of the newly blood-ratified covenant inclusion, the book of the covenant Torah community. You see, works of the law, you're not under the labor of the book of the law. You're now under the grace, the liberty of the book of the covenant because the new covenant wrote... Um, Hebrews 8.1 has been, Hebrews 8.6 has been given as Torah on the basis of better promises. What promises? The promises of his redemptive blood. Amazing stuff when you break down the conversation. So works of the law isn't speaking so much about obedience to Elohim as the institutionalized church falls prey to but it is more about speaking how a group or sect follow and interpret his law 
as appropriate to the dynamics of their faith. Now, some of you look like your eyes are glassing over. So I want to repeat that because it's very important. Works of the law isn't speaking so much about obedience to Elohim as the institutionalized church often falls prey to that we've all heard, but it's about speaking to how a group, a sect, a dynamic group of believers, how do you and I interpret the law as appropriate to the dynamics of our faith? Well, we, as the Malkizedic remnant, how do we, as a sect of Yahusha, how are we supposed to follow or divide and interpret his law as appropriate to the dynamics of our Book of the Covenant faith? That's huge. That's what this ministry is all about. And when we apprehend that, you can actually have some cool conversations with all kinds of people. Because the Mormons, as crazy as they are, they, they kind of are into a bit of Malkizedek, except their Malkizedek is just some weird, weird stuff, you know? But when you start talking about things that are actually in the Bible, many will not even be able to carry on the conversation because they're using what? Not even the Bible. Just a shadow of these hodgepodge of religious writings. So we really need to be forward-thinking in how we have these conversations with people. The Pauline evidence of ergon no more, or that's the Greek for works of the law. The Hebrew phraseology for works of the law would be masai ha Torah, works of the law. It's talking about the book of the law. It is unequivocal that this is what Paul is speaking of in light of of the book of the law has been lifted and now we're brought under the covering of the book of the covenant. Paul's criticizing a sectarian or a messy, messy idea about observance of the book of the law because observance of the book of the law will actually impede heartfelt faith. And that's why in the messianic movement you've got so many people that are trying to keep the book of the law and you're like, Where's your faith, man? It's not all about works of outward works of law. I, I understand the commandments are good, just, righteous, and holy, but the law, the book of the law, is not of faith. If you want to apprehend the faith, you've got to connect with the Malkizedic covenant law because that's where the power's at. So that's the distinction. Galatians tells us that the law is not of faith. But we have to understand the distinction between the book of the law, which is not of a faith, and the book of the covenant, which is. We've got to remember that in Paul's day, the Jews at that time, even in the nations, were deeply entrenched in ownership and possession. Ownership and possession of what? The book of the law. Just as today we see that the Jews or the synagogue of Satan, they are deeply entrenched in ownership and possession. They were far removed from the golden calf debacle. And because of this, it seriously hampered the work of trying to clarify the Pauline position in regard to the Torah, the covenants of promise. 
it seriously hampered their understanding. The Jews had lumped it all into one. And the Messianic movement today, they've done the same thing. They've just lumped it all into one. One of Jewish ownership and possession. And if you spend too much time in the Messianic movement, you'll realize it's all about the synagogue of Satan, ownership and possession. And that's a dangerous thing. Whereas you'll find any time you spend in the Malkitzedic, it's all about stewardship and covenant responsibility. How do you want to live? As a slave or as a free man? Not free to lawlessness, heaven forbid, but free to stewardship and covenant responsibility. That's the Malkitzedic way. Here's where we find ourselves today as a ministry. And that's why I'm so publicly criticized which is why I've been a little bit apprehensive about opening up the comments on YouTube. But I thought, well, what the heck, you know? People either love me or hate me. I'm like, Marmite, give me some thumbs up. Or, oh, you know, the six of you out there, give me the thumbs down every week. Why are you watching? I don't know, but we love a little bit of thumbs down because at least, you know, you can have a conversation. But why? Why am I so publicly criticized? Because of this. You see, I've always had liberal tendencies. I have now. Some of you right now, oh, now the truth's coming out. Well, it is. I've always had liberal tendencies. But I'm not talking Bernie Sanders' liberal tendencies or Hillary Clinton' liberal tendencies here. I'm talking libertarian. That's different. I'm talking libertarian. I like big people. I like small governments. I like empowering people. I like freedom and responsibility and stewardship. I do not like ownership and possession because big government wants to own you and take all your possessions and then redistribute their possessions, which they taxed you from, to you at their, you become a slave. I would rather big people, which means small government. That's libertarian in scope because that's what the Bible actually teaches. It's theocratic libertarianism. I'm not talking liberal loonies. I'm not talking Bernie, you know, from the gulags. No, I'm talking a distinction here between what? Ownership and possession, which is what Bernie Sanders is all about. Sorry to get political, but it is political. And stewardship and responsibility to covenant, which is what Yahuwah is all about. Who do you want to be owned by? I'd rather be to a slave to Messiah and free indeed than a slave to this system which will literally send you to the gulags. They're called FEMA camps. You see, this is called theocratic liberty. Yahweh established the covenant. And the covenant is the checks and balances. We should have checks and balances. The checks and balances is, hey, Abraham, walk between the pieces. Don't go outside the pieces. Walk between the pieces. If you will live between the pieces, that's where I live, then you'll find blessing. Live between the pieces. Between the pieces is Book of the Covenant. That's where Abraham lived. Under the shadow of his wings, Yahweh established stewardship and covenant responsibility. And that's what I teach and I get hammered for it. Oh, you're teaching against the law. Oh, you're teaching us to be under the law from both sides of the aisle. 
the church I get hammered, from the messianic movement I get hammered. And I'm saying, but you guys are teaching ownership and possession. You want to possess the people. You want to possess them into the Roman Jesuit order, and on the other side of the aisle, they want to possess you into the synagogue of Satan. And I'm saying, no, it's all about stewardship and covenant responsibility, freedom under the Malkit Zedek, Yahusha himself. Because I love theocratic liberty, setting people free. That's what this ministry is all about. And thank you, so many of you out there that do respond and say, yes, we have been set free from religiosity through the Malkitsevic reality. I'm a poet and I didn't know it. So, all that to say this, whether it be the traditional church or traditional messianic Judaism or racial or political suppression, you end up being possessed and owned by a system of institutionalized structure. And that's wrong. I don't like that. That shuts down the conversation. Instead of being allowed to steward the covenant in your life. And that's what Yahushua wants for all of us. This is why there are so many church splits. Why? The ones split when they realize that they can't possess you. That they can't possess what in the religious sphere they wanted to own. And they split. Because they weren't there for the right reasons. They were into ownership and possession. Either the people, the person, or the ministry. And when they see that they can't take you into captivity, they split. Because they are still into ownership and possession. I hate ownership and possession. I'm into covenant responsibility and I love stewardship. Only the ones who live a life of stewardship and covenant responsibility will see it through to the end. And those that see it through to the end, they get the legacy to their children. And to their grandchildren, they get to leave it to their descendants. Ownership and possession, what does the psalmist say? It's gone. You die, then the next generation, they spend it all. But stewardship and responsibility, it goes on to the next generation, the next ge It goes six deep. That's a fact with stewardship and responsibility. But possession and ownership, it's gone within one generation. The next generation, like the Hiltons, they burn it all. You see, because they don't understand the difference. Yahweh wants us to leave it to the, leave it to the third and to the fourth generation. And that comes through education in stewardship and covenant responsibility. And that's what we want to see. So don't get ripped off anymore by promises of religion when you could steward the Malkitsetic covenant in your life and you could attain the priesthood. Have the conversations. It's too easy for the trigger words. I'm not under the law. You're trying to put me under the works of the law. You're a Nazi. You're a racist. But people are throwing out these trigger words because they don't want to have the conversation with you about the context of what we're talking about. And they actually don't have the comprehension about what they're talking about. You have to comprehend 
the Malkizedek to understand the dichotomy between the book of the law and the book of the covenant. And when you do that, you'll see what works of law and under the law really means. Otherwise, you're just using trigger phrases and you've lost the argument with me because you didn't either comprehend the context of the covenant. That's what we're talking about today. Our words today, succinctly in finality, they can either lead us into ownership and possession, which is religion, which is socialism, which is captivity, or our words today can lead us into conversations about stewardship and covenant responsibility. As for me and my house, it's all about stewardship and covenant responsibility. And I thank all of you out there that through your stewardship and responsibility continue to support this ministry in difficult times. I'm having a difficult time, but you know what? In those difficult times, I just continue on. That's what I do. Doesn't mean I have to be strong. Doesn't mean that I have to have supernatural overcoming power, but I tell you what, I'm a fighter and I want to apprehend the blessings. And I know from inception of my faith, it's always been about moving forward, never being passive. It's about apprehending, apprehending that ahead. So we continue. And in that, that's where you see the miracles. We've seen so many miracles at Torah to the tribes in the past year. Things that we thought we could never overcome. And we're standing here today, and you're out there. And thousands and thousands more of you are watching than you ever have been before. And people all over the world are being affected by covenant responsibility in the Malkitetic message. That's beyond me. It's because the power is in the hands of the people to share the message. Because I can share it here, but when you share it out there, and you guys out there have the conversations, that schedules your next season of blessing. But don't get caught up in the trigger words. Racist, Nazi, I'm not under the law. Well, you're trying to put me under the works of the law. These trigger words, when we really look at the context, of where they come from, that's when the conversations start. Questions, comments, any of you out there or here today? A lot of questions. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to bounce back and forth because I've only got one microphone. Okay, I think you've touched on You've touched on this a little bit, but let's start with our first question. If there is no law, how can there be sin? And what do we need the blood atonement of Yahushua for? If there's no law, then how can there be sin? Well, there is law. There is law. Of course there's law. The law points out sin. Sin is what defines the law. So. The person that posed that question, if you abrogate the law, get rid of the law, then sin cannot be charged. And that's the problem. 
So when the church says, oh, the law is done away with, then sin cannot be charged. Therefore, everybody sitting in your church audience, they've got no guidelines on how to live. And that was my problem. I needed guidelines because that's why I was in sin. Because I never got guidelines. I just grew up thinking, I didn't know it at the time, I'm going to live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Meaning, I did everything and then I decided based upon my experience of it, oh, that was good. Or, oh, that was wicked, evil, that, I do not feel good. But there's a problem with that theology. You've done it. You've seen it. It's in your mind forever. You can't undo the wickedness. There's ramifications that haunt you the rest of your life. It's a terrible theology that fails. You see? So, yes, sin has to be charged. Therefore, the law is for us today. But we have to rightly divide the word of truth between the book of the covenant and the book of the law. That which frees you and that which condemns you. All right, next question. If you are not under the law, are you above the law? You are not under the book of the law. You are therefore within the book of the covenant, which is also Torah. So no one is above the covenant Torah of Yahuwah. But you can choose to remain under the law, the book of the law, where all the curses are. But you want to be moved in your faith, because the book of the covenant law is of faith, where you can apprehend the blessings. But no one is above the commandments of Yahuwah. No, heaven forbid. All right. And what do you consider the book of the law and the book of the covenant? So the book of the covenant, its inception point, it was the promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis, of course, 12 and 14, the covenant, the flaying of the pieces. It wasn't realized until 430 years later at the mountain, Exodus 19 through 2411. That's where the book of the covenant was then given to a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The covenant was blood ratified and sealed, and then there was the covenant confirming meal. There was the book of the covenant. And all of those precepts and commandments from Genesis 1 all the way forward to that point were all part of the covenant. Whatever Abraham lived, how he lived, that's how we're to live. But then... At the golden calf, there was a breach of that covenant infraction. Yahuwah was going to kill all the people. Moses interceded, and Yahuwah said, Okay, instead of killing all the people, I'm going to put a schoolmaster over them. I'm going to impose more laws upon them, more restrictions, more boundaries, because they broke my covenant, and I'm going to now put them under the book of the law, which is then from the golden calf breach, all the way through the prophets, all the way until Messiah, who came to redeem us from the curses of the book of the law and bring us back into the promises of the Torah, the book of the covenant that were given to Abraham. 
that's the Reader's Di Digest version. But of course, our um, series, Malky Zedek, um, that you can find on YouTube, goes through that. And then also, if you visit us at TorahToTheTribes.com, you subscribe, you can get a free download of the Malkizetic Promises by Dr. Dave Perry, which is my favorite book. Okay, so works under Yahuwah's covenant admission are the only fruits or works that will be accepted. Can you be more specific on this, please? So what are good works? I think if I'm understanding the question correctly, good works first and foremost are to love Yahweh your Elohim and to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Because if you have not love, you're just a clanging cymbal, a sounding brass gong. But good works have to be formulated in the covenant. Do the works of Abraham your father. Well, you said you're not Abraham's father. Abraham isn't your father. Satan's your father. Whose works are you going to do? We do the works of Abraham from Genesis 1 all the way forward to Exodus 24, 11. We keep the Sabbath. We keep the feasts and festivals. We restrict our diet. We have holiness in our marriage, covenant fidelity. We raise our children up in the word of Yahuwah, and we be good to our neighbor. And we communicate Yahuwah's wonderful blessings to the nations because Abraham was the man that built wells. Think about it. Back in that day, building wells was, in fact, how you preached the gospel. Because Abraham, you'd be traveling through thousands of miles of just west wasteland. And Abraham would drop a well. And what would he do? He'd name the well after Yahuwah, an attribute of Yahuwah. Often, the name would have, the well would have the name of Yahuwah in it, so of it. Um, and then a traveler would come and he would be dying and all of a sudden they'd come across this well in the wilderness and he'd be saved by the living water of the well and he'd ask what is the name of this well and he would be given the name of the well and then he would be given the name of the creator and that is how people got saved back then by faith and the waters of salvation, which of course is spoken about, we know, through Yahushua, the living water. But dropping wells was like giving tracts back in Old Testament times. Okay, next question. How should we rightly divide and apply the scriptures? We are Melchizedek priesthood. Yes, that's it. How do we rightly divide the word of truth? So as for me and my house, understanding the book of the covenant reality, it was huge. We were in our kitchen one day and we were fully into the messianic movement, trying to do all this book of the law, you know, the seat seats, all of that garb and feeling all this, you know, luciferic oppression because really we were in the company of a majority of the synagogue of Satan in so many areas, then understanding the Malkit Zedek and going, I love the law. The law is just holy and good. Read Psalm 119. It's beautiful. But rightly dividing it to liberty, 
realizing the law that Abraham followed was the book of the covenant law, which is what James speaks of, and that's the law of liberty. And all that Abraham did is for us, Sabbath, the feast, festivals, it's liberty. But all the, the Levitical stuff, which was added under the book of the law, is now being twisted by the synagogue of Satan, and it's all about ownership and possession. That's not for us, because my sacrifices are living sacrifices, sacrifices of prayer, the incense of my prayers that rise up. And with that, I have a spirit-filled life of law and liberty, but it's founded and grounded in covenant reality. Next question. How can we find the balance in loving people and keeping our convictions? Oh, it's a tough balance. It, it, it really is. And, you know, I'm most probably the wrong person to ask, those of you that know, know me, you know, because uh, I'm often too fired up. And I'm like, oh, that was a bit rough. But as I've matured and got older, I think I, I can speak to that. Um, how do you have a balance, but also retaining your convictions? For me, I'm very conviction-driven. So my convictions do come first, not people's feelings. And, you know, I'm disliked because of that, oftentimes. Oh, Matthew doesn't care. Matthew, my convictions are more important than my feelings and your feelings. So that's just the way I'm wired. I'm very literal, and so for me it's a lot easier to make convictions because I live a convicted life. But I do err in that because I can be a bit of a firebrand that oftentimes I don't realize the sensitivities that are involved, which is where my wife comes in. Which is why, you know, for those of you that are married, that it's very important for a husband and wife to be in ministry together, to co-labor together, because strength sometimes has to be put under control. <laughs> so my strength can sometimes be kind of wild. So as I've matured, I, I, I realize that, okay, let me back up and, and try and have a conversation rather than just trying to push my convictions forward. Because there was a day where I sat down and I'd be like, that's an abomination. I can't have that at my table. Well, that, you know, that shut down the conversation. So there's a different way in doing it without me messing with my convictions. But it is, it's, a, it's a narrow road to walk. I'm not saying it's easy. It's balance. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It is. What part of the book of the law was statutes that they could not live by? What part of the book of the law were the statutes that they could not li live by? Well, the people to ask, the people to ask would be the prophets, Jeremiah, Daniel, Nahum, because the prophets were continually chastising Israel because they couldn't even keep the book of the law. And the purpose of the prophets was saying, repent, 
come back, come back, come back under the book of the law because otherwise you will be condemned, get all of the curses and death and destruction will happen to you. Zedekiah, hey, if you just repent and if you just, you know, give up right now and surrender to Yahuwah, then uh, you'll be okay. I won't burn the temple. I won't take you into captivity. won't pluck out your eyes. You'll see your children. But no, wouldn't even adhere to the book of the law, so therefore curse came. So this has been a problem ever since the golden calf, and the only way it could happen is if someone bigger than humanity could come down and save us which was the redemptive work of the son. Because no matter how great Jeremiah was, no matter how great any of the prophets were, they couldn't bring them into the better hope and apprehend the book of the covenant. Somebody had to die for the transgressions that happen at the golden calf. Because Israel didn't die, but still somebody had to die because it was a blood-ratified violation. And Yahuwah sent his son to die that enabled in the better hope, the promise. Next question. Will Matthew ever do a teaching about the Noahide laws? After the book of Revelation. Because <laughs> everybody's like, when's he going to start about the book of Revelation? Yeah, the Noahide laws, that's big right now. Yeah, but succinctly, it's just a synagogue of Satan counterfeit, an entrapment procedure that, of course, is going to be brought forth into the nations by, of course, Trump's son-in-law in the future. So just beware. I mean, I could do a big teaching on it, but the simplicity would be flee. Flee. There is one Torah and it's not the Noahide laws. It is Malkitzedek. Noahide laws will be pushed forward by the synagogue of Satan. Question. Please explain 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. First John chapter four verses one through three. First John four. Behold, do not believe every ruach, but test the ruachs, the spirits, whether they are of Yahweh, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of Elohim. Every Ruach that confesses that Yahushua Messiah has come in the flesh is of Elohim. And every spirit that does not confess that Yahushua the Messiah has come in the flesh is not of Elohim. And this is the spirit of Mashiach Naged, anti-Messiah, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So yes, watch out for the spirit of errors. You've got to test all things. So they that say they are Jews but are not, the synagogue of Satan, they deny the Son. 
therefore they deny the Father. They deny that the Son came in the flesh, that he is Messiah. That's the spirit of anti-Messiah. The Jehovah Witness, they, they, they deny that Yahushua is the son of Elohim in the flesh. They are the spirit of anti-Messiah. The Mormons that follow the, the wicked teachings of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, again, it's a denial of this very thing. It's the spirit of anti-Messiah. I mean, I walk past these religious people all the time. I mean, it's, it's, it's devils. It's easier for somebody lost to come into the faith than those that have denied what we're talking about here. So we have to be. Yahushua came in the flesh, the son of the living Elohim. And anyone that says he didn't is under the spirit of anti-Messiah. Okay, I've got another final question here. It says... Ooh. <laughs> All right. Um, could you ask Matthew to reconcile Torah covenant healing and faith name it and claim it healing? Yahuwah Ropecha. Yahuwah is our healer. That's what his name means. And we are healed, Isaiah tells us in the 53rd chapter. We are healed. Not by the blood of Yahushua. Oh, you didn't say that, really. But by his stripes we are healed. By his blood we have atonement, atonement. So when Yahushua was afflicted and chastised for our sins, for me, as for me and my household, I look at what I d spoke about earlier, Abraham dropping wells and naming the wells after Yahuwah. And the travelers would come dying and destitute, and they would find life and healing in the name and attribute of the deity Yahuwah. By drinking of the waters of salvation, that's how they would find life. Understanding that the waters of salvation in its full clarity is Yahushua, that's where the healing is found in the well of salvation. And when I need healing or somebody needs healing, we go to prayer, we proclaim the name Yahuwah, our healer, Ropecha. His attribute is Ropecha, our healer. And then I literally, in my prayer life, and I believe in, I do speak in tongues, um, speak through that the the disease or the sickness is already being put on Yahushua. It was already placed upon his body. He has already taken that sickness. And now I agree with that. And I pray that in. And I visualize Yahushua with that sickness and casting that sickness that he's already taken. And by his stripes, I in agreement, in legality, agree that it is on him, not on the person. And therefore, now my prayer has now become a sweet fragrance into the very nostrils of Yahuwah. Amen. I can now 
walk away with clear conscience, clarity, and conviction that it is now in Yahuwah's hand, and I am free, and that person is free from worry, and we can move on. It's not my job for the prayer to be answered. It is my job to apprehend it. That's it. Well, that was fun. Sorry about all the technical uh, microphone issues and me blabbing on about Bernie Sanders. But, you know, he's a nutball and um, that's okay. So remember, you out there, again, thank you for joining us. We love that you're supporting this ministry. Subscribe to our channel. It really does make a difference, truly, especially with all of this deplatforming. And if you like what you heard today, you like the Bible verses, and it inspires you to get deeper with Yahweh, give us a thumbs up. And if you are from the synagogue of Satan tuning in, give us a thumbs down. Because you know what? The devils are always out there in disguise trying to sneak in. But anyway, we'll pray for you and pray that you get apprehended by those blessings of Yahuwah. And we'll catch you next Shabbat. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Amen.